We're going to pray in just a minute, ask for God's help as we study His Word. Um, yeah, the children, shorter can head out to Children's Church. Um, before we do, before we get into the message and and uh, before we start examining each verse, I'm just going to read the whole passage after I pray. Um, actually, before I pray. And before I do that, I owe the church an apology here. We're going to do communion today, the Lord's Supper. I have not taken the Lord's Supper nearly seriously enough since I've been here. And so a church grows to reflect its, its pastor. And so I think as a church, we have not taken it seriously enough by far. Uh, we just finished our sermon series last week on Joshua. We've been in it for a long time. Some of you are sick of hearing me try to enunciate the word Joshua. I know. So I thought now we're not in the series. We'll look more in depth at this passage that I always read when we do the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians. And we'll study the context of it. And as I studied the context of it, I was just blown away by how seriously God takes this. So this will be an interesting communion service, I think. Uh, my, my fear is I don't want it to seem harsh or awkward. I know there's lots of folks visiting with us. Um, but I, I hope everyone understands this is coming from the fact that I love you. And I believe God's word and I have to just sort of deliver it as it is. Um, the Lord's Supper is a beautiful, wonderful, amazing Amazing thing. Amen. And we just have not been taking it seriously enough. And it's my fault. Uh, so I'm going to read this whole passage and then to pray and then we're going to get into it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, sorry, chapter 11, starting at verse 17. I just want you to listen to me. Uh, we won't have it up on PowerPoint yet until we start studying. Just uh, listen to God's word from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at 17. Paul writes, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. If we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, and we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray. 
Father, please help us. Help us to hear your voice in this text. Help us to see it clearly and understand. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to be humble and honest with ourselves before you. Help us to examine ourselves well, as is clearly appropriate according to your word, before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And Lord, I ask that, Lord, that you would just work through your word here and in my tone and in the words that I say to do a great work in our hearts and in our church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm simply going to go through this text here before we take the Lord's Supper. Um, I titled the sermon, The Dangers of Communion. I've never thought of communion really as being dangerous before. Uh, It turns out it is. And we're going to get to that. But let's start in verse 17. Paul writes to this Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church was a messed up church. They had a lot of problems. I mean, problems that we probably, hopefully, will never experience at our church. They even had, they had incest, prostitution, you know, really, this was a messed up church. This is a church Paul's writing to, and he says, after giving a lot of instructions, he says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. One thing we have to just acknowledge at the beginning of this text, church is not necessarily good. I know we tend to think church equals good. Church is good. Church is not necessarily good. These people came together not for the better, but for the worse. When they came together as a church, they were actually worse off because of it. This would be like going to a doctor for years and realizing that you were actually sicker because you were going. It's possible for church to be bad. How? How can a church be bad? I mean, I think there's lots of ways. But here we see two laid out in this passage that specifically relate to the Lord's Supper that I want to look at. Uh, If you'll look with me at verses 18 and 19. He's explaining how they come together for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Divisions where people are divided from each other and against each other. So a church can be bad when there's a lot of division. Just very simply put. Now, the deepest part of these two verses is verse 19 for me. Where he says, factions are always going to be existent in the church. Because that's how you tell who's approved and who's not approved. This passage gets really serious really quick. Some people in the church are approved, are approved by God through Jesus Christ. They're Christians. Some people in the church are not. And I've said this a lot here at church. I don't think I've ever said it as directly as I'm going to be saying it from this text. Some people at Doolin's Grove, even members, aren't Christians. And I don't say that for shock value. I don't say that with any joy in my heart. It scares me to death. But I I am confident from Scripture that not everybody at church is a Christian. Paul seems to just assume it of the Corinthians. 
He's like, divisions are always going to be the case in a church. Because that's how you tell who's approved and who's not. I think from Scripture I can say with confidence that some of us are not Christians. For one thing, Jesus said that way is very narrow. There are very few who find it. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. We have so many church members in in the United States. I just find it hard to believe that all those people have found this narrow path. And I'm I'm sharing this with you as your pastor from love. I, I don't want this to seem condemning at all, but we have to acknowledge this as a fact. And I might be wrong. Dillon's Grove might be the one church in history that is comprised 100% of Christian membership. Maybe. Maybe. Lord, I hope so. But I don't think so. And Paul says to the Corinthians, sometimes when you get together, it's not for, your, for the better because there's so much division. Now, I don't think we have a lot of division in our church right now, and maybe I'm blind to some of it. Um, since I've been here, it's been really pretty harmonious, I think. Uh, you know, there's a little minor, you know, disagreements here and there. Not a big deal. Um, but these small cracks in our unity can grow into huge division. And Doolin's Grove knows about huge division. I mean, just a few years ago, the division got so huge that the church just ruptured, split. And I don't pretend to understand everything that went into that. But church can be bad rather than good if it gets too full of division. And there will always be division because all churches have both Christians and non-Christians in them. And in division, it becomes clear. When, the, when there's some divisive thing going on, you can kind of tell who are the new creatures in Christ, humble, soft-hearted, selfless, versus old, hard-hearted, not new in Christ, just doing religious stuff. You can, you can kind of tell. And it's important to know, not so that like we can judge each other. It's important to know personally. I mean, think back in your own heart. Your participation in divisions in the church, what does it reveal about yourself? We have to be asking ourselves these questions. And it's important to know too, because you know, there's some people that you, don't, you just don't go to with really sensitive like prayer requests. Because something in you knows that there's something not right there. You've seen how they've acted. One way a church can come together for worse rather than better is when there's a lot of division. Continuing on in verse 20, we'll see the second way, which is selfishness. Paul says, Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first... And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. What was happening here in the Corinthian church? It was different than today. They weren't coming to a steeple-topped church building for communion. It was probably in homes. And so in these homes, the preferred guests would come first, and they would get all the wine and all the bread first. In fact, they would eat so much that they'd be full and belching and drunk. And then the poorer, less preferred people would come along, and there wouldn't even be anything left for them. So you had some people who were drunk, and some people who were starving. Because of just selfishness. 
revealed at the Lord's table. Now, I know it would take a lot for you to get so full that you're passing out on these little tiny (laughs) communion cubes that we use. And I don't even know how much grape juice you'd have to drink to get drunk. So the, the tendency is just to breeze past this and think, well, that doesn't apply to us. Or some of that grape juice... We've got new grape juice this morning, but I think some of it might have been in there long enough to ferment. Lee was joking about it. <laughs> Thankfully, he went and got some new grape juice. See, between the two of these things, division versus selfishness, things that can make church bad rather than good, I think we might have more of a selfishness problem than a division problem. And again, this starts, it starts in my own heart, and it, and it goes out into the whole congregation. I know it's a weird sermon for those of you who are visiting, but you know, here we are, God's Word. This is what I'm sharing this morning. But Selfishness can work its way into a congregation in a number of forms. There, it was just selfishness at the Lord's table. They, they forgot what it meant. They were just eating it up, not thinking about the others. And Paul says, in so doing, they despise the church and they shame the poor. There is a way to do church selfishly that despises the church. Are we selfish? Are we a church with the what's in it for me mindset? Are we consumers rather than contributors? I was thinking about this and um, I'm picturing a church like a tandem bicycle. Have you seen these two person bicycles? One person's in the front, they have control of the steering and they pedal, and then the person in the back has a handlebar, but they don't steer, but they pedal and help. We have about 125 people on our membership at church. We have about 80 that come to this, the service. We have about 50 that come to Sunday school. And as best, last time I figured, these are rough numbers, I think we have about 30 that make the whole thing go. About 30 that are involved in the nuts and bolts of the ministry here, the, the, the visible, tangible things you know, that make the, the music happen and the visuals happen and the... Wednesday nights happen and Sunday school happen and, you know, the women's, men's group, youth, all these things happen. I think it's around 30. Okay? What's 125 minus 30? I'm seriously asking. I'm terrible at mental math. What's that? 95. Okay. That's like, what, a quarter A quarter of the church involved in that kind of stuff. So I know there's a lot that goes on that's not visible. It's praying for people. It's befriending people. It's relationships, discipleship. So let's say double what I see is who's really involved in the mechanics of serving, contributing to church. Let's say it's 60 people. Okay? That's about half, right? So that's like half of your tandem bicycle team working and half not. Can you picture the tandem bicycle here? I have this perfect visual in my mind. And the person in front is pedaling and they're steering. And the person in the back is just sitting there. <laughs> Going uphill very slowly. You can't go on real long like that. And what's funny about it, and I hope this doesn't sound like condemning or harsh. I love you guys. I, I have been, I have sat in pews. I know what it's like. I know you're busy. I'm not trying to be condemning here. This is not some burdensome thing. This is trying to reveal where we are. But what's funny to me is how often those in the back seat not doing anything have 
a great deal of input for the person in the front seat. And they're riding along, and like, oh, this is taking forever. What are you doing up there? Let's pick up the pace. And they just ride along. You're hitting every pothole on the road. What are you doing up there? Just riding along. While the person in the front is like, gosh, I'm doing the best I can. Now imagine if it was different, though. If, if the back half engaged, how much faster we'd go, how much smoother we'd run, how much healthier our body would be. You know, the, the body of Christ, our church, is like a body. Now imagine if half your body just went numb and limp on you. How well would you do at life? Just your right half, just no good anymore. You had to move around with just one half working. I really believe God wants to do great things through our church. He's done so much. I've seen heart change happening. I've seen people convicted of sin and repenting and growing and being free from sin and being joyful and beautiful, wonderful things. That's all happening in the front seat of this tandem bicycle, but I still look back and I see the back half. People missing out on it. The Lord's Supper is about investigating these things, examining these things. So church can be bad, not good, if there's a lot of division, if there's a lot of selfishness. In their case, some people would be drunk and some people would be starving because of the selfishness. In our case, you know, the drunkenness, starving thing isn't the problem. What I do see, though, is some people just burned out having served their brains out, trying so hard to just figure out what to do, how to do it, to, to see the church flourish, to see people come to Christ. And other people not receiving what they feel like they should receive, and they leave. They're not contributing, but they get upset because they're not receiving what they feel like they ought to receive. And so they leave. That's just not how the body of Christ is supposed to work. Every, Every part of our bodies has to function, has to work. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong. You go to the doctor, you investigate it. And that's what this morning is about. This is... This is the atmosphere that brings us to this very familiar passage that I always read at communion, at verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also, After supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper unites us and it dissolves selfishness. Participating in the Lord's Supper rightly, if we really understand what it is, it brings us together. It's hard for a lot of division to exist if we're really humbly Partaking of the Lord's Supper in the right way. And it dissolves selfishness. It's the remembrance that Jesus gave up everything so we could be one. His body broken, his blood spilt so we could come together and be one with each other and with him. It's so important, so serious. And and the, and the verses to come explain why it's so serious. I'm going to reread those verses I just read in a moment, but let's move 
Let's move on to chapter verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Okay, I've been really trying to figure out why is this part of church so serious? And I think, I think I'm getting my mind around it. Okay, now I want you to raise your, who's in here is married? Raise your hand. So if you're married, Dale, you can raise your hand. I know you're married. (laughs) If you're married, you have had some anniversaries, right? They come every year. Now I want you to imagine, okay, whether you're the wife or the husband, imagine your anniversary is coming. And you know that your spouse has planned something big. He's taking you, he or she is taking you to a very nice restaurant. They want you to meet them there. So you get all cleaned up. You go to this fancy restaurant, you're seated there, you're waiting for your spouse to come. It's your anniversary night. The night that you remember your marriage and the vows you took and the joyful thing that it is. And then here comes your spouse. You see them coming through, weaving through the crowd. But they have someone with them. They brought a date <laughs> to your anniversary date. Okay, now imagine that moment. You see your spouse coming toward you at your anniversary dinner with a date by their side. Could you enjoy that anniversary dinner with just the three of you? No. No, that anniversary dinner becomes a slap to your face. When we come to the Lord's table, not understanding what it is, Living in such a way that shows that we just don't even get the sacrifice Christ made for us. It's like coming to your anniversary dinner with a date. The Lord's Supper turns from being a wonderful, beautiful thing to being the equivalent of driving the nails into Jesus' hands and feet. And I think back, how many times have I done this? Just taking it lightly and come with all kinds of unrepentant sin in my heart and just flippantly drink the juice, eat the bread. Jesus' body broken. Jesus' blood spilled. What's for lunch later? Man, this thing is, this, the community is the heartbeat of what we're all about as Christians. And if we come in an unworthy manner, it just shows that we just don't get it at all. And it becomes a, a horrid, terrible thing. I don't want us to be doing this. God doesn't want us to be doing this. God takes it very seriously. Let's keep reading. In verse 28, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The proper attitude to come into the Lord's Supper is self-examination. Well, I was tend to think it should be a celebratory mindset. Really, it should be a self-examining mindset. You know, a lot of churches do the Lord's Supper every week. Whenever they gather together, they do the Lord's Supper. Um, I've actually thought about if we should do that. I'm not going to just start doing it. Don't get worked up on me, but I've thought about it. What's the key objection whenever someone thinks of this? We'll get numb to it. It'll, it will lose its meaning. It won't, be, it won't seem like a big deal anymore. We'll get used to it. Right? That's the first thing I always think of when I, when I encounter these churches that do it weekly. But maybe I have misunderstood the point of it. Maybe it's not so much about evoking some profound feeling in us as it is about coming back to it time and time again and reminding ourselves of who Jesus is, who we are, what we're doing here. 
It's a, it's, it's a constant comeback, remember. We need it regularly. I think maybe more regularly than we do it. If we do it right, it's going to be such a profound thing for our church. Like I said, I'm not like making any changes. This is just what's gurgling around my mind these days. But you don't take a shower once a quarter because you don't want to lose its meaning, right? You know that you need it. <laughs> Everybody around you knows that you need it daily. Sometimes thrice daily, depending on who you are. We need this. We need to come back to this often. We need to remember. Because we forget. We tend to just forget. And, and that's when the division starts and the selfishness starts. And we forget it's all about Jesus. I mean, do you know who we are here? Every one of us? We are sinners. We're sinners. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be up here talking to you from God's Word. I really don't. But praise God, through Christ, He's given us life and forgiveness and and he gave it all so that we could have it all. And we just forget way too often. So Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper so we won't forget. So we'll keep coming back and we'll keep reminding ourselves of who he is. What we're doing here. The self-examination part is very important. I'm going to read verses 29 and 32 to explain why. 29. For he who eats and drinks... Drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Well, what does that mean? Look at verse 32. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. The judgment he's talking about here is a correcting judgment. It's ideally with my son, I don't punish him just to inflict pain on him. I discipline him to correct him. This is so important to God that He will correct us if we keep going, eating the, the bread and drinking the cup in an unworthy manner. He'll correct us. It's very important to Him. It even says how He corrected back then in verse 30. For this reason, many of you are weak and sick and a number sleep. You know, I really expected as I studied to find some way around this verse 30. I really thought there's something in the Greek, there's some way of, of wriggling out of this. God doesn't. Cause people to get weak and sick and even die because they do this in an unworthy manner, does he? And you know, the Bible doesn't say that he'll always do it like that. But back then, some of those people in that church were weak and sick. And some even died because they had a lifestyle of slapping God in the face. Most visibly expressed at the Lord's Supper. It doesn't say that he still does that. We certainly know that all weakness, sickness, and death... Not all that is God's correction, that's for sure. Most of us, because we live in a sinful, screwed up world. God will correct us. He corrects, He disciplines His children. He takes us very, very, very seriously. And lastly, verse 31. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. All of this could be avoided. All the correction could be avoided if we will examine ourselves closely. And honestly. And so I've tried to leave some time here at the end of the service for this. We're about to do communion. And I know this has the potential to be really awkward. But I just, I don't care about that so much as I care that we take this seriously. Because I see how seriously God takes it. And I love you all too much to, to lead you into another Lord's Supper communion service without taking it seriously.
Now, here's what I want you to do. I have some questions on insert in your bulletin. I'm just going to guide you through some self-examination here before we do this. And actually, what I'd like you to do is just listen to me for one more minute. If you'll just close your eyes and bow your head so you can really listen to me. Just close your eyes and bow your heads before we do this so you can listen to me. We have to examine ourselves right now. And I just want you to do it honestly. And some of us in this room, I'm being dead serious about this, some of us in this room should not take communion this morning. Now I know that seems crazy. Let, let it pass and not take it. What will people think? Well, who cares what people think? They're probably more screwed up than you are anyway. Some in this room should not take communion. And I'm going to ask you some questions to help you think through it. This is on your insert. First question to ask, are you a Christian? Do you trust in Jesus alone for acceptance with God? Do you obey Jesus as your Lord? Are you genuinely a follower of Christ and not just a church attendee? We've got to ask these questions. If you're not sure about this, or if in your heart you know that you're not, please don't take communion this morning. Come talk to me about it instead. Do you live by the flesh or by the Holy Spirit? Some of us may be Christians, but we're just living by the flesh. We're, we're living in immorality, uh, unrepentant sin. We're, we're full of jealousy and anger, and we're just not walking by the Spirit. You know you're walking by the Spirit if you see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control working itself out in your life. Where are you on this? Is there something you need to repent of and do some business with God? If there is, feel free to let the cup and the bread pass. And I haven't mentioned this to the deaconesses, but we're going to do communion again in, in maybe a month, sooner than normal, to give some of us time to work on these things. Because I'll be honest. I had the benefit of studying this passage for a week up to now, but when I first started studying this passage, I would not have been ready to take communion that day. There were some things that I had to repent of. It's great to take communion. It's safer to really examine yourself. Some of us need to just let it pass this morning. Examine ourselves. Repent of sin. Seek out God. And come again next time. Are you divided from other Christians? Are you bitter towards someone? Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone to whom you will not speak? Someone to whom you're harboring ill will? Someone you need to apologize to? These things need to be dealt with, this division, before you can partake of the Lord's Supper in in the right way. Are we selfish? Are we living for ourselves rather than others? Are we consumers at church rather than contributors? Make it real simple before I pray and before I invite the deacons to come forward. Some shouldn't take communion this morning. And I don't say that in a condemning way. This is just the Christian life. We're all works in progress. Here's who should take it before I pray. Those with clear consciences before God and others. There's no unrepentant sin you haven't dealt with. There's no uh, divisions that you need to correct. Those living in humble unity with others. Not full of selfishness. And those actively functioning in the body of Christ. That's who should take communion. This is our chance to really examine ourselves and see where we are. 
And if we're not these things, this is our chance to deal with God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I just trust your Holy Spirit to work these things, these, these truths into our hearts. I pray that nothing I've said is misunderstood. And if I've said anything false, that you would just cancel it out of our, all of our memories. And that your word, the truth of it, would, would be clear in our minds as we come to this table. And Lord, I just ask for your forgiveness for things we've been talking about all week. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he gave his body and blood so that we could all be one together in unity. Lord, may this church be the type of church that brings you so much pleasure, so much joy. May we all, if not this morning, the next time we take communion, be able to do so joyfully, understanding the full depth of meaning, with clear consciences before you and others. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.